<sighs> Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming. Uh, quick show of hands before we begin. Who's heard of Bono, The Edge, and a little band called U2? Hands up. All right. Who's heard of Neil McCormick, Ivan McCormick, and a very small band called Shook Up? Yeah, publicist at the back, put your hands down. Uh, Kelly Bono aims to change our lap before we meet the star of the film, Ben Barnes. Let's have a look at the trailer. Enjoy. In 1976, the McCormick brothers... We're going to be the next big thing. ...started the second best band... Don't move me, I went to Eton! ...in Dublin. But as they got better... The other band. See you on top of the pops, boys. Always had the edge. You're looking at you two. You too. It sounds like a bleeding submarine. <laughs> Do you want a bottle of him much? Do I bollocks? <laughs> Next Saturday, we'll blow them off the stage. Hold on. Rest of the day, the Pope is in town. Who's gonna go and see the pub? <laughs> What's your problem? I stopped Ivan being in the band. We want your brother on rhythm guitar. We can't have him. You too? Wow. What you think for? Paramount Pictures presents the truish story of two brothers. I could have been in orbit with the best band in the world. What do you want me to say? That you made the worst decision of my life! Who didn't find what they were looking for? None of us did. I'm telling people they're the next you too. Only better looking. And gay. Ben Barnes. Rubber Cheetah. Killing Bono. You're the soul. I mean, is he taking the piss now or what? He still hasn't found what he's looking for. He has got everything he ever wanted! Fantastic stuff. Um, please welcome to the stage, the star of Killing Bono, Ben Barnes. Hello, sir. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Have a seat. And please uh, welcome our director, Nick <laughs> yeah. Ham. He will be here at some is... point. He's stuck in traffic. Ben, you're a bit of a, a music fan. You're a, a drummer, yeah. I believe. So were you aware of this story, this incredible story of this Doppelganger band. No, and I've no. I, I, apart from Neil, who wrote the book, I've never met anyone who actually was. Um, <laughs> Someone put their hands up in the front row earlier on when I said, "Have you heard of Shook Up?" But only you, since they've yes. seen. But okay. only since they've seen the trailer. Not beforehand. Yeah, oh, oh, you, you know go. them okay. personally. That's right, cheating. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I was. Um, I was actually sitting in my. Uh, trailer in Australia doing uh, the third Narnia film and started reading the script there and uh, sort of giggling my way through this very childish script and uh, <laughs> and and because I'd been too lazy to take my sort of costume off in between in between sort of um, stunt rehearsals I, I was kind of pretending my sword was a guitar and sort of <laughs> stomping around my uh, trailer pretending to be this ridiculous man um, Neil McCormick and putting on probably what was at the time a probably very bad Irish accent and just sort of strutting around um, and I think that's a good sign whenever you're reading a script and you you know you get to kind of page 10 yeah. and you're kind of reading it out loud to yourself I think right. that's always a good Omen. And what was it about Neil McCormick, who you ask you is a real person, he's the, uh, the Telegraph's music critic now, um, that attracted you? Because in the movie he's something of a, an Irish Larry David. He, he sort of 
explodes every situation he's in. He says the wrong thing at every single juncture. Did that appeal to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been kept playing quite a lot of um, quite earnest, um, you know, and in some cases sort of borderline heroic characters. Um, <laughs> almost everything I'd played had, had been from, um, from fiction, from kind of well-known novels. So I thought it was about time I did something from a novel that nobody had read. <laughs> and uh, and I just, I, it, it was just, it was a great irony to me that this, this man who tried so, so desperately to be, to be um, a, a rock star and work in the music industry ended up being quite a well-known rock critic. <laughs> yeah. And that, that irony just kind of tickled me, basically. <laughs> and um, and also, um, it was a kind of, by the time you get to the end of the script, it felt a bit like the antithesis of a, of a Hollywood film. Mm. It, it doesn't have that kind of, um, you know, that kind of generic Rocky story where you see this band and they're f sort of flailing and not doing very well and they sort of slightly start to get better and better and more people go and see them, they attract a few fans. And then, you know, in, in the sort of obvious version of this film uh, in, and Neil's fantasy in his head, they would sort of play Croke Park supporting U2 and it would all be a massive hit. Whereas, in fact, they were still you know, playing to three drunk men in a pub, playing their bad, bad, bad songs. Right. Um, freezing, you know, in vests and leather trousers and, uh, you know, just sort of lunging and, uh, and doing robot dances and, uh, and thinking they were really cool. And in fact, they were just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was one of the funniest scripts I'd ever read, really. There's a lovely sort of brand of humour, I think, which has kind of come out of Ireland um, recently with sort of Martin McDonough and... and um, and uh, the film In Bruges. Mm. Um, and I, I definitely stole a little bit of Colin Farrell's enthusiasm from, from In Bruges. You know, there's, mm. there's brilliant bits where he's just sitting there and says, oh, look, a look, a dwarf, you know. <laughs> and and I, just, I just loved that kind of passion, so I stole a little bit of that for, for, for Neil. Because um, he's very perky. He's is very he, is perky. Is he like that in real life, or has... He's mellowed out a lot now, but yeah. he's 50 this week. So he's, he's kind of... He should have mellowed out a bit <laughs> by then, have, yeah. you know. But he's still ambitious for it. I mean, I think secretly he still h thinks that writing a book about his life, no matter how self-deprecating, and, and getting it made into a film, I think he still thinks there might be a chance that could help him <laughs> to have an album out, maybe. <laughs> and his brother Ivan, played by brilliant um, Robbie Sheehan from Misfits, um, it, it, Ivan McCormick is still in a band. He's in his 40s and he, he plays in a band called The 29 Fingers and they play weddings mm. um, on a, almost a weekly basis and they're called The 29 Fingers because the piano player only has nine fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, they, and that's not even in the film. It's just such <laughs> a great... I checked out the website today, 29fingers.com. They are very popular. So they're going to get so many. I've plugged them so hard. They're going to get so many more weddings now. How, how much did you delve into this role? Did you go into Sugup's back catalogue, if it exists? It, it's very hard to find the music on its own. There's two um, performances slash music videos of theirs, which are, if you imagine, if you imagine Duran Duran had 20 quid to make their video, <laughs> that's basically what these are. And so I'd watched those two videos, but I, I wasn't allowed to meet the real Neil, the director, Nick. Oh, really? Um, forbade me. He's at the Chelsea Roundabout. I've just, I've just had that yeah. nice. um, Lazy. Um, direct, he he um, banned me from 
from meeting the real Neil because he said he's so frustrating and irritating in real life that if you were to kind of watch him and copy his little <laughs> mannerisms and tics, the film would be completely unwatchable and you wouldn't root for the character at all. And I still think it's a, a bit of a fine balance. I've had you know, uh, my family and, and some friends who've seen it and they still, they're torn between whether you know nearing the end of the film you you kind of start to feel a bit of empathy for the character and kind of want craving for him to succeed or you just want to slap him in the head um, <laughs> bit of both maybe. and and, yeah. and my aim was to kind of have it somewhere in between yeah. because i think that those flawed characters with 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 some kind of sort of just fatal flaw in them in mm -hmm. this case it's a sort of wildly misguided ambition mm -hmm. um and a sort of um a very sweet lack of talent really um and, and actually i mean i think more than just being about failure because actually it'd be kind of depressing to just watch a film about complete losers not doing what they set out to achieve that would just be depressing i think the sort of um bookend of of, of the story is that success doesn't always happen in the way you think mm. it necessarily will the neil the real neil mccormick is a is a is a actually a really really talented journalist for mm. for the telegraph he he actually interviewed me last week which is very strange <laughs> not you the know, first time you've met him like, who it? would play me in a film oh i'm interviewing him now <laughs> i don't know so that's probably a, like a world first i don't think ray charles has ever interviewed jamie fox it's just <laughs> I don't a, think he did, no. um and he wrote a really brilliant piece about it and um I, and his book he's a great writer so mm. he, he had great success and you know someone's made a film about his life no matter how much of a pillock I made him look <laughs> you know it's still been a story about his life which yeah. is, is you know a success but probably not in the way he ever thought absolutely and there's this lovely story as well this lovely relationship between Neil and Ivan playing, as mm. you've said played by Robert Sheehan yeah well well I think they had to make somebody kind of the more ridiculous of the two yeah. and Neil because of the fact that he wrote the book very much drew that short straw um, you couldn't, you know, I think somebody has to be the victim. And in this case, it's poor old Ivan. But actually, if you look, if you see them now bickering away, as they still do, um, it makes sense that it's that way around. It really does feel like he's been dragged along for the ride. Because actually, even out of this, out of this, you know, film coming out and the book selling more and everything... Yeah. Um, Neil's kind of still charging forwards, and Ivan's kind of going, wait, did I sign up for this? I don't know. <laughs> What's happening? Is that something you can relate to? That's that sense of wanting to be a musician, and like I say, you're a yeah. drummer. Oh, well, I did, I did a lot of music kind of, a lot of music growing up in various, various forms, some more embarrassing than none of us. <laughs> um, but um, I think that probably the most relatable thing is when I tried to first started to try to be an actor, I had kind yeah. of six months of writing hundreds of letters to agents and trying to get meetings with them, and no one would meet me or talk to me. Or, and it was just really, really depressing, actually. Mm. And, and I had friends at the time who were kind of trying to be actors, and they couldn't see the way into, uh, a way into kind of making it work. And, um, and, and so that, that frustration I can completely, I can completely re relate to. Um, but I think the thing that I've come to admire about Neil and Ivan, which you'll see when you see the film, is that if something isn't working in their life, they just changed it. They changed their haircut, they changed their style of music, or their girlfriend, or their manager, or whatever it is, they just changed something to try to make their life more how they saw it panning out. And I, can't, I really admire that about them. I think that's one of the things that makes you root for them, because yeah. that's actually, it's very sweet. Mm. And... Um, uh, and, and I think it's very easy to stagnate when, w after a few rejections. It's very easy to sit there and go, well, the world doesn't want me, so I'm not going to bother anymore. Mm. And, and they didn't do that. And, and, 
you know, they didn't get where they where they thought they might, but they're both happy men, and and mm. that's the that's the sort of important thing at the end of the day. And he, he's learnt to be less crazily ambitious, and so he's actually learnt something along the way, at least. Is that something uh, uh, as well you can relate with as an actor starting off? In the film, Neil becomes quite obsessed with Bono to the point where he may or may not want to kill him. I don't want to reveal anything. Uh, um, but is that something? If an actor, if you went for a part, another actor got the the same part. Did you I begin think with to acting, with, with music, it, 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 there's something about music where you can sort of make a... Uh, Nick Ham, hey, everybody! Nick Ham! Hello, sorry I'm late. <laughs> buses. Evening. <laughs> buses, buses, buses. Sorry I'm late. <laughs> Apologies. Um, Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm Chris. Ben. Ben, nice <laughs> to meet you, man. Ben plays Neil in the film. Huh? Ben plays Neil in the film. I know, I yeah. heard that. Did he do good? <laughs> yeah, he did well. Yeah, yeah, great, he did well. We're just talking about. Um, I don't know. I was saying something really boring. I'll ask you the first question now. <laughs> let's let's feeling the pressure on my own there. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Yeah, well, let's go to a clip first, and we'll come back and talk to, to Nick afterwards. This is okay, the, cool. uh, a clip uh, in which we see the, the beginnings of you two, actually. So. Sensations, the hype still sweaty from a blistering live show. So, boys, tell us, where do you see the hype in, say, five years' time? In five years, hype will be history. What? 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 You guys were fucking amazing tonight. You, you, you said that this is what you wanted to do forever, like. Yeah, yeah. It is. So we're changing our names to something good. Oh? You're looking at you two. You two. You too. That is so... SHITE! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Neil. I didn't want to say it. It sounds like a bleeding submarine. We're changing our names. What? Dave wants to be known as The Edge. What, like Edge Evans or Dave Edge? Just The Edge. The Edge of what? From now on, he's Bono. <laughs> Bono! 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 <laughs> It's good, it's good, Eric. I could be, um, Byro. I could be the head. <laughs> Stop taking the piss. At least I'm not the one jumping up and down on stage wearing these. Would you look at the stadium? Hey, 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 hey! Oh, hey, 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 can you talk about where you found him? Actually, uh, you know, I'll tell you, M Martin was suggested to me by Pete Postlethwaite, who rang me when we were putting the movie together and said, I want you to meet this uh, extraordinary young actor who I have worked with in Northern Ireland. And his name is Martin McCann. And I said, well, yeah, and wh what's he going to do? And he said, well, look, I think he's, um, he's probably one of the best actors I've worked with and you should meet him. So I did. And I cast him the day I met him. The afternoon, he came down to the office in Twickenham Film Studios. He came down, I said, look, and at that point, Bono in the movie was just the Bono that you've seen here. In other words, he was the young Bono. He you must have squealed like a schoolgirl when he came in and looked exactly like Bono, <laughs> and you've been recommended him by people, so that you must have. He did a really good audition. He did a good he's audition. Brilliant. He's, brilliant he's brilliant. He's brilliant in it. And so we added the, the later parts of the film that, you, um, that, that are with Bono as an older man, we added those when we were shooting, and as we developed the screenplay, 
we felt that Bono needed to be more part of the movie. But when I was setting up the picture, the only thing that financiers would ever say to me was, okay, who's playing Bono? Is Bono playing Bono? I said, no, Bono's 48 years old now. He can't <laughs> play 17. 17. <laughs> so, okay, so we're not going to give you the money to make the movie. I was like, okay, so we had to reduce all of Bono's you know, appearances in the picture. So mm. that's how Marty McCann came to play Bono, because Pete Postlespaite suggested him. Fantastic. And obviously this is uh, Pete's last film. I know you were you're very good friends with him going way, way back. Can you talk about how he came to be in this film? Because it was a, initially a different role, I believe. Pete was initially... Uh, I've known Pete for... I knew Pete for a long time. I was uh, at the Royal Shakespeare Company with Pete when I was in my 20s. And uh, we lived together for a long time in that, in that period and worked uh, many, uh, many years together in the theatre. So... Uh, uh, and, and retained a friendship. And Pete went off to do the great roles he did, uh, which was um, apparent to all of us. And uh, <clears throat> when we were putting the film together, one of Pete's desires was to make this movie because there was a sense in which this film is about the notion of celebrity, the notion of success, and how failure uh, uh, can affect you. Yeah. And so Pete wanted to be part of it, and he was originally going to play the gangster role. He was going to really play Stanley's role, which is a role that Pete's played many times before. We've all seen him as gangsters. And uh, the insurance, uh, because Pete was rather sick at that moment, wouldn't insure Pete to play that role. So we wrote this new role for him, which is a, uh, the landlord of the boys, mm -hmm. in which he, he plays a very gay, very camp uh, photographer. And uh, he was a delight to have on set, and both Ben and Robbie were fantastic with him. And he was, it was just a beautiful, and we were a, a beautiful moment for, to have him there. And we're, frankly, we were honored to have him in the movie. And it's a great little tribute for Pete just to, to, to see him do a little comic turn. Yeah. And Ben, can you talk about working with Pete? Um, yeah, no, it was, it, well, it was incredible. I was so very excited when, when Nick said that he was going to be playing this part, and mm. I thought that's such a strange and wonderful choice for that part. But at the time, I didn't know he was unwell. Yeah. And then Nick sort of, um, sort of prepared us bef before for the fact that he might be a bit frail. And, um, and he came in, and he was very unwell. And, and it was kind of very bittersweet because it all, it all felt very kind of poignant. We were working in this very cold warehouse in January in, in, in Belfast and it was very hard for him to work for, you know, more than 10, 15 minutes at a time without mm. needing to rest. But, but Nick was trying to do everything to make him comfortable and say, OK, you're going to lounge in this soft, velvety armchair for this scene. And he, he would say, no, I, wanna, I think we should be walking up and down the stairs in this scene. <laughs> right. And, and uh, we'd just do everything he could to make it as good as possible and and he t he said to me you know i'm i'm uh, 64 years old and i've never played a character like this a camp really camp character like this and i'm having so much fun and i think that's so admirable to be still kind of challenging yourself uh, yeah. after what everything that he'd achieved in his life and how many accolades and uh, and ha just how you know steven spielberg has said of him he was the best actor he's ever worked yeah, with which is an incredible that. thing you know. and that th that event that, that ben's referring to this is this is classic pete pete was Pete never regarded himself as a movie star, even though he was one of the best film actors and the greatest movie stars this country has ever produced. He never wanted any of that. He was an actor. He, was a, he, was a, he practiced his trade. That was what he did. He was no different from a butcher or a doctor or a dentist. That's what he did. He didn't want any opinions about it. And the, the event that Ben is referring to is, 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 a, is a moment when we were working. Pete was patently sick. He patently could, uh, couldn't work for long periods of time. So I restaged one of the scenes in the film. And I, before Pete came on set, and I put
put a chair there and I said, Pete, you're going to sit there and the boys are going to sit next to you and they're going to be part of this. And Pete Postlethwaite stood up and he said, no, no, that's not the way the scene is dramatized. I'm going to get And so he rejected the very idea of making him comfortable. And to his last moments, he was, the, he was involved in seeking the truth in what was there on the scene and involved in seeking what he thought was the best thing for the movie. And that says everything about Pete Postlethwaite. And there's a wonderful um, moment in the film, which what, look at, watching it now is, is, the, is probably the hardest part for me to watch, which is um, he has a line as Carl, when we, we've been renting off him in this warehouse, we rent this room off him, and we sort of become friends with him. And when we leave to finally go on tour, the sort of our big moment, he says uh, a word from, uh, word from the wise, you know, a word mm. of advice from an old man before you go. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, the mark of a man is what's left when fame falls away. Mm. And he did this a couple of times. He was kind of looking straight in your eyes when he said it, and it felt very much like Pete Postlethwaite giving advice to two sort of young actors yeah. instead of, you know, this character. And, and it should be, I mean, I've said this a, a bit in the last few days, but it should be an obvious skill for an actor to be able to sort of look at somebody and tell you something and for it to feel like the truth. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially what acting is, but not... A lot of actors have that skill yeah. in the way that he has it to, to make anything sound profound. And, um, and I think that was, he was such an honest actor and that's why I think he was so, so brilliant and um, why it was so brilliant to be around. And in between takes, I would also, um, you know, when we were sitting, he was sitting with his cup of tea and gloves and scarf, which he'd then take off for the... Uh, um, um, I was teaching him how to play Scrabble on the iPhone. <laughs> Did you win? Uh, he never really kind of got it. it so I would play a lot with Robbie, but he just wanted to know how it worked because he's got a curious <laughs> mind, you know. I imagine he knew a lot of big words. Oh, he knew how to play Scrabble, but I was teaching him how to, to, how to move the tiles, you know, with the touchscreen. Oh, OK, fair enough. Um, and you say you created the role for him, and I know the, uh, the flat that the boys rent in the film is a very different one from the one that Neil and Ivan rendered in real life. How much of this film is truth, and how much of it is fiction? No one knows. <laughs> Okay, so there's certain elements of the movie that are true. Yeah. There are certain elements of the film that are rock history. In other words, the early bit of the movie, U2, when the U2 started, Larry did put a notice board, a, a, a piece of paper up on the school notice board and said, Band Wanted. That's how U2 started, in a school in Dublin. And he was 15. And he was 15 he years up. old. And he said, I need, he was the drummer and he still regards it as his band. So I need a singer and a guitarist, and that was Bono and Edge. So that's how that happened. And so that moment actually happened in the school corridor. They actually then did audition in Larry's mum's kitchen. And Larry's mum's kitchen is probably smaller than this platform where the three of us are sitting now. There's so a the lovely moment in the film where you see them playing as a band and he's sort of thrashing away on the drums and then the camera moves around him and the drummer's arse is sticking out the kitchen door in the garden and he's play the drums are inside and he's outside. Exactly. So they couldn't fit the whole thing in. And so there's those moments in the film that are authentic and are part of rock history. And those are moments that all of us, uh, Ben, me, the, the DP, the designer, all of those, all of us, we wanted to make sure that those moments were authentic, that they were real, that we respected the band, and that we gave the right, uh, the right uh, sense of importance to what that was, which was for talented but passionate guys in a room trying to form a rock and roll band. So the first three minutes are true, is what you're saying. <laughs> so in other words, the first about 15 minutes of the movie are actual truth and happened. And then the rest of the picture is a extrapolation of what happened to Neil's life and uh, the events that happened as he failed miserably in the music business. With a couple of parts completely made up. <laughs> With a couple of parts completely made up. But we won't say which parts. No. Right? Yeah, okay, fair enough. And has Bono seen the film? 
Uh, Bono has seen, uh, the band have seen the film, Bono's seen the film, they saw the film um, in Australia about uh, a month or two months ago. Uh, there, it was played for them in the middle of the afternoon at 1.30 in Melbourne, in a cinema in Melbourne. They turned up with their friends and colleagues and people who'd um, been on, on the road with them for years, and they fell about laughing, uh, mainly at Adam's hair, I, I, I think. Spectacular uh, hair. Spectacular yeah. hair, and uh, they all recognise themselves quite. So, yes, they have, and they're very supportive, and they're, they've been a joy to, uh, to have alongside. Uh, but Bono, Bono rang up the real Neil um, last week. He goes, hey, Neil, how's that film going? I'm killing myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what he said. What he said. <laughs> so I think it's great. And there's, a, there's actually a, a, a secret U2 track or an unused U2 track in the film? There is. At the beginning of the movie, there's a track which is called uh, Street Missions, which is U2, before they became U2, were called The Hype. And The Hype recorded a song called Street Missions, which... Uh, um, you're going to show the clip? So yeah. You, okay, so this is a clip you're going to see, which is actually... Oh, not this one, but we've got, no, we've got we have Oh, you got it later? I just, I just want to Essentially, it. it's, it's, it's them playing... Uh, uh, the, and they'd lost this, this actual particular recording, so we... Neil told me he has it. Yeah, Neil has <laughs> it. Neil McCormick has it. He told me yesterday he has it. So you two lost the music for this. <laughs> so when we, we had to go and find the music for this one of their tracks called Street Missions, which we put in the movie. Fantastic. We do have another clip. Uh, it's the, the boys' first meeting with Peter Serafinovich, who plays a record, uh, record label guy, who's slightly off the wall, if you want to just have a look at that. One of many hapless meetings we have. Songs are usually about fantasizing about having sex with hot women, actually having sex with hot women, or reminiscing about having sex with hot women. This one appears to be about rape. On one level, yes. But on another, it's about existential angst. Mm. Right, well, either way, that's a pretty hard sell for Top of the Pops, but I'm sure we can sort that out later. So you do want to sign us then, do you? Well, that depends. You see, the music industry is a very fickle business. It's like a harem filled with beautiful people all fucking each other's brains out. But outside there are thousands of ugly, talentless lepers all clawing their way in, trying to get a piece of the action. Which one are you? Uh, beautiful people. Do you want into the harem? Yes, please. Yes, I do. I do. Well, okay then. And try and write a song that doesn't have kids reaching for their dictionaries. <laughs> and also, steer clear of the whole rape area. It's a bad area. And, and, and the McCormick brothers, change your name. You sound like a fucking folk act. Now get out, arrange an appointment, we'll come back and squiggle a contract next time. Go! What? <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
two things. Two things. Your average music executive. <laughs> 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 Sorry for anyone just hair is epic. I love it. Uh, secondly, what is Robert Sheehan wearing in that isn't scene? That, isn't that good? <laughs> he loves going? those dungarees, Robbie. He loves it. <laughs> when he walked on set, Ben and I, I mean, I don't know what you saw them earlier. When he walked on set, I actually didn't say anything. I looked at him and said, mm -hmm. good, let's go. <laughs> I've never seen a more ridiculous pair of trousers in my life. <laughs> They're amazing. Ben, I imagine the answer is no, but did you keep any of Neil's wardrobe from the film? No. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell. I have to say one, one last thing before we throw it open to audience questions. That Irish accent is pretty spiffy. How did you come by it? Um, well, I had a dialect coach mm -hmm. um, for about <laughs> an hour and a half. That was it, and then the rest was, of you. That was all <coughs> we couldn't afford anymore. That's all we could afford. <laughs> that was all we could afford budget-wise. Um, so you're watching episodes of Father Ted in the background? No, you? well, what it, I, it was, I, I really liked the Dublin accent. I think it's a very... Um, just a, a really attractive accent, uh, uh, the Dublin accent. Um, and I just, just made a decision because it was a comedy and I, I knew we'd have people like Peter Serafinovich who would just make up half of his dialogue as we went along and lots of other sort of stand-ups doing little cameo roles. I thought if I'm going to be able to sort of veer from the script mm. as I'm, I know I'm going to have to, I, I can't just learn the words on the page. I have to be sure. able to do, say anything. And so from the minute I landed to do the film till, till I left, at night and I just stayed in that accent oh really and it's weird because you start thinking different phrases you say different stuff if you stay in an accent for long enough right um, and, and I started you actually thought about becoming Irish didn't you I had real trouble remembering what my own voice sounded like when we finished <laughs> honestly it took me about two weeks I sounded like one of those kind of irritating people who've lived half their life in one country and they, yeah, yeah. they, they kind of sound a little bit like they might also be from somewhere <laughs> and, and it's very confusing. And also French the hardest Canadian. place yeah. to try to do a Dublin accent in the world is Belfast, which is where we shot. Okay. Because the accent is just different enough and just similar enough um, uh, to mess you around. To, to just completely mess with your head. Yeah. But I just, I just spent all my time with Robert um, and tried to sound like his brother. And I thought if I can sound like his brother, I'll sound Irish. So that was, that was the Fair enough. Good job, sir. Good job. All uh, right. Now we're going to throw it open to the to you guys. Uh, there will be a floating microphone coming around. So if you are selected, then we will, as an incentive, the first five people will get a signed copy of the soundtrack, <laughs> signed not by me, but by Ben Barnes. You'd be relieved to know. So uh, there's a lady in the front row who had her hand up immediately. So there you go. <laughs> Congratulations. First, you get a copy. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ben. Hi, oh. Hi. Is it on? Yeah. There we it is. all know you are a rock star in the new film, so could you sing a song for us here <laughs> the Apple Store? They say you're much better than Robert. Um, do you know what? I didn't bring my band. <laughs> um, but if I had, I obviously would. But, but I'm, a little bit, I, I, just a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not fully, fully prepped and rehearsed. I'm, I'm sorry. But you do get a signed copy of the soundtrack on which I sing ten songs and that's yours. So there, that's, that's Thank you much. And it is all you singing. Yeah, it's all, uh, yeah, I spent about three weeks um, in a studio with a guy called Joe Echo who wrote all the songs. Um, and and uh, we used a few of Neil and Ivan's actual lyrics, uh, but but only a few. <laughs> Are they with, slightly, good, with, slightly good, with good reason, okay. really. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, that I, is something to know that Ben actually did sing. Yeah. All the it's very rare in a movie. Most of the time in a film, and whenever you see a music movie, the actor playing whoever's singing is never singing those songs. They are miming to somebody else who's recorded them. And I would say that's true in about 80% of music films. In this film, Ben sung, went into a studio, recorded those songs, 
arranged those songs with the arranger with the, with the composer and nailed it uh, and and that shows because when he's then delivering them on stage he's he's delivering them to his own performance which is pretty well, great because joe joe let me how uh, sort of taught me how to sing in the difference because i'd done a lot of I'd sung on another soundtrack, a film I did called Easy Virtue, but it was very jazz. It was sort of Noel Coward, a room with a view, and it was all very silly. There you go. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you had your moment. <laughs> and, um, and this was like screaming and punk and, and yeah. stupid, big, screeching, you know, um, accompanied by some wild, inappropriate dancing. <laughs> and, and, and Joe kind of taught me, and we looked at lots of old videos of Jagger and Bowie and, right. and David Hyde's dancing and, and, and looked at all that and, and listened to them, listened to a lot of their, and tried to channel a different sort of, you know, slightly over-the-top frontman for each of the performances. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, but it was really fun. I, I, three of the best weeks of my life recording that soundtrack. I had so much fun doing it. Um, did, did it so give you grateful. a taste? Well, can we expect the band? Oh, I loved five? it. I, I loved it. No, because I'm not cool enough but <laughs> to be a rock star. But I, I would do it as is. Neil, like with, in, you know, if I got the wig and the leather trousers and the makeup and could, you know, just ruin someone else's career by doing it, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it that way. Fair enough. And uh, this lady here in the front row also? Ben, most of your films came from books, as you mentioned before. Mm. Do you worry about departing so much from the original story, or is it sort of a necessary evil that you both concoct to get the right result? I, th I, I think... Um I think Nick, made, he rang up Neil when you were first sort of thinking about doing the story, didn't you, and said, problem with your life is it's got no third act. <laughs> but don't worry, we're going to give you one. And so we kind of had to structure... I think people are used to seeing... Structurally, we watch so many films, I think, that you were used to seeing a certain type of structure to films. And, and this is kind of, as I said near the, near the beginning, that the opposite of that, a little bit. Um, but you have to try and pretend we're going in that direction in order to be able to, to subvert it. I don't, I don't worry about sending up the truth, because Neil wrote the book. It, it, he made himself the loser in the book. He made himself the butt of the joke, and he gets it. And um, I think he was quite uncomfortable when he saw just how much of a moron I was making him. <laughs> but... But I think he's now got over that, and his friends and family have seen it and, and, and said to him, that's exactly what you used to do. And, and, and I think he's sort of made his peace with it. And, and, you know, Robert and I have made our peace with um, playing s two such idiots, on, uh, you know, f for your viewing pleasure, that, that we feel very happy for people to go to cinema and laugh and point at, at us. We're, we don't, we're happy not to laugh with you. Um, and um, so, so I, I think they're sort of necessary evils, the things that have been made up and make it more structurally exciting as a film. But actually, the truth is, now, Ivan... Look, look, Ivan actually did go to that audition for you 2 but they told him that he didn't get in the band. But we didn't do that in the movie. We pretended that Neil didn't... said to Bono, look, don't tell him he's going to work with me. But now Ivan thinks that's the real... The real <laughs> Ivan thinks that's the real truth of the movie. And he I, thinks his brother genuinely screwed up his life <laughs> and stopped him being in the biggest band in the world. So now there's a massive family rift. And there's also a marriage rift, because in the film, um, my, my character makes a, a, a series of horrendous mistakes, but one of them is, is, is cheating on his girlfriend. Um, with, with a, the head of PR of the record label. And um, when the real Neil's wife, Gloria, who he does end up with um, in, in real life and in the, in, in the film, um, watched the film for the first time, she got really pissy with him um, <laughs> for having this fictional affair via me. Um, and, and he said, why are you so upset about this? He just goes, well, it's exactly like something you would have done. <laughs> and so, you know, but, you know, so the real... No one knows, no one knows 
the reality of it anymore. <laughs> I'm happy for this to be their life because it doesn't affect me. The wreckage <laughs> of the McCormicks. Uh, okay, anyone in the back rows? And I'll come to the front. There's a lady right in the middle of the second row. You win a copy of the sound soundtrack. And you do as well. There you go. Um, in the film, uh, Ivan says to Neil that he never did know when to stop. Uh, how long do you think a person should pursue their dreams, even if they're unrealistic, before they should give up? It's like a really, you know? really, really, really good question. Best question I've been asked all week, and I've been asked about 50,000 questions. Well, it was either that one or can you fix my cat, but I <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? Was that, that was, you that last, was last night. night? That was last night. That was <laughs> cat. Tell me it was <laughs> Who you. was that? It wasn't, but I, I was there. So that was, that you were was, there. That was, Jesus. That was weird. <laughs> How long should you carry on? For your dreams. How long should you pursue your dream? Forever. If it's not, if it's not There's working. There's no end. Why? If it's even if it's not working, it doesn't matter. You still dream. But sometimes don't you think you could be happier doing? You know, as as we've seen from from how Neil's ended up being a journal, a, a, a really talented journalist, and being very successful and very happy at it. If he was still struggling with rock, he might be miserable. So I don't know. I think you have it's to listen very, to your gut, listen yeah. to your heart, and and oh no, that sounds like a Disney film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Um, I think the movie's a shout out to all those failed bands in garages and, and uh, all those those people who look the, the division between success and failure in the media business is a, 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 a hair's breadth. It's 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 about luck as much as it's about as as much as it's about talent. You two came to this country, what is it, 25, 30 years ago in the 80s, and tried and they went home. That not a single record label wanted to sign them. Not one single A&R guy wanted to know them. They went back to Dublin. One A&R guy followed them back to Dublin. The rest is history. If that A&R guy hadn't done that, would they have been you two? Would they have stayed the course? So, look, that's the way this business works. That's the way the film business works. That's the way any business works in terms of the entertainment industry. Never listen to what anybody tells you because they don't know what they're talking about and just do what you want to do. Because it's only ever somewhat one person's opinion that affects, you know, um, often affects your reaction to, to what you're doing yourself. And, uh, you know, it's often just nonsense. Uh, anyone <coughs> from over here? Yeah, there's a lady on the front row. Okay. Hi. Uh, um, first of all, Ben, um, Ivan told me to say hi to you. So, yeah. <laughs> hi, Ivan. <laughs> Um, there's a question for Ben. I was going to ask him, um, out of all the movies that you've done, which one's your favourite that you've done so far? Um, Including Killing Bullet, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm fairly confident in saying this one because it's so different and I think it sort of plays to my sort of ridiculous strengths of terrible dancing and, 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 and doing accents and, you know, uh, screaming and lunging and, and, and sort of just things that... Um, and, and it's just so much fun and it's so easy to watch. It's quite hard sometimes, I think, particularly when you're taking characters and stories that are in people's... Um, in people's lives and in people's histories and it's their favourite ever story and you can only ever make a hash of that for people, really. I think... And, and this one, people don't know what to expect, really. And I, and I, and I like the fact that people are being surprised in, in watching it. And, and, um, and I think it's quite a touching story, but you have to work to find that part of it. And the rest of it will just make you giggle, because it's, it's, it, 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 on the surface, it's quite a frothy, fun uh, journey. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I can sort of quite honestly say this one. <laughs> Excellent. Because you um, sit next to me as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
And I'm going to throw it over to you as well, because it's, it's been a while now since Godsend, before that was the whole, uh, before that Martha meet Frank, Daniel and Lawrence. Very different film then for you, this one. Is that part of the appeal? I think it's in the tradition of Martha. I think yeah. it's sort of, you know, I went off, after Martha, I went and did some horror movies. Mm. Uh, I did a movie called The Hole, which I was really pleased with, and then, um, and then a picture called Godsend with De Niro. And I was you know, happy working in that genre. And then I wanted to return to something which is much more... I, I wanted to do comedy again. Yeah. I liked doing that. I liked doing both uh, in, in both, both areas, but I particularly liked uh, uh, doing comedy. And, and this, to me, was a, an incredibly... You're going to do a comedy, you need to do an original story. Yeah, absolutely. There's one signed copy left. Uh, I've used the front row too much. Anyone at the back who hasn't asked a question? Oh, over here, there's a lady right there. Yeah. Hi, this question for Nick. Um, because the character of Neil is um, played up in the film, I guess, from what he really is, um, I was just wondering when you went to do the Bono character... No? All right. <laughs> when you went to do the Bono character, because people think they know what he's like, and even he did it in Entourage, where he played up himself. I was just wondering, how did you go about doing the Bono character? Because he's, I've seen the film, it's brilliant, and Martin McCann's amazing in it. Mm. Um, I was just wondering how you went about portraying Bono in it. Yourself. That's a good question. I mean, uh, what, to be honest with you, what we did is, is we just took... You know, Martin did most of that work, you know, cause, uh, where, I, and, and I would say literally 90% of that work, you know. I, I didn't ever think I would find anybody to play Bonner. And so I had reduced the amount of, of screen time in the, in the screenplay that actually you saw the young Bonner. You talked about also maybe, do, you talked to me early on about maybe only seeing him from sort yeah. of that angle as I, well. I was so quite interested. You know, never what, see him. Exactly, there's that Tony Scott film, which is very good, where you, Elvis is it. Oh, right? True Romance. True yeah. Romance, which is, this is a really in cool the, movie. Yeah. And you see, you know, you see the way he talks about and it's kind of, they did Elvis all the time in the mirror, and it's quite, and I thought, well, maybe I should do Bonner like that, or maybe I should do him as a voiceover, or maybe I should do it, because it was painfully obvious that, that people needed to deliver. It wasn't until I actually met Marty that I thought, oh, you know what? There's somebody that can play him. There's, I didn't want anybody to yeah, um, uh, imitate him. I didn't want to be satirical about him. I didn't want to speak about Bono and say, this is a view of, I didn't want any of that. I wanted to represent somebody who I thought was incredibly talented, passionate about their work, and straightforward about doing great rock and roll. And that's all I had as an agenda. And Marty brought the rest of that. And Marty brought a kind of humility and an ease to the part which I thought was great. So the answer to the question is, the actor did most of the work. And I, I think you had, we all had a little bit of leeway in that we were all, you know, everyone knows the Bono from Live Aid and from Red Nose Day, and from you know, or, you know, you, we all know what we think, how we think Bono is, but none of us really. There's not footage, not a lot of footage, in, and of how he was when he was 17. And I think you know, when we shot that first, actually, our first ever, sh our first shooting day was the city, was the scene of the notice board, and um, you know, Marty's actually from Belfast, and we kind of talked like that. And he came in, he was like, "Hey, Ben, what's happening?" And he was just so immediately cool. And I was, I genuinely was jealous of him that day. I genuinely, why can't I play someone who's cool? You know, genuinely nerd. immediately cool. And uh, so, and he just had that all the way, all the way through. Can you talk very quickly about the, uh, the, the title change? Because the book's called I Was Bono's Doppelganger. <laughs> this is now Killing Bono. Okay, the book was called I Was Bono's Doppelganger here. Okay. But in America, they didn't understand Doppelganger, so they called it Killing Bonner. Because <laughs> when he published the book, so that was why it was called Killing Bonner in America. Well, but whose, it, whose <laughs> idea that, was and it? And it was Bono's idea to call the movie that. 
<laughs> it's called the book that. And then when the two writers, Dick Clement and Nina Frenny, who also wrote a film called um, not almost famous, with the, uh, the commitments. No, um, oh, still crazy. Across the universe. Oh, okay, that one. They wrote across <laughs> the universe. <laughs> that one. They were on the set. Remember that one? Yes, and they were the on the Beatles set song. of that movie. Dick and Bono and does a song in it. And yeah. Bono is in that picture. And they met Bono on the pit, and they were saying they were writing this movie and blah blah blah. And Bono said you have to call it Killing Bono. So the reason the movie is called Killing Bono is because Bono himself suggested that title. Uh, there are no more signed copies left, but we do have more unsigned copies of the soundtrack to give away to people who will ask questions. So, I think there was someone in the front row as well. Earlier on, you had your hand up. Um, and then over here. I want to know, what was the most happiest moment in acting in the movie and the most fun parts acting in the movie? I tell you, the, the, well, the most difficult part, because it was so much fun, was that clip you just saw of, of Peter Sovinovich crawling on his hands and knees. And, and, and whenever they did the shots from behind, he'd just be going... <laughs> and it, it was just so fun. And I'm so proud that I managed to get out that, I do, I do, with him this far from my face. Because he is just such a force of nature, comedically, that man. And, and I'm so proud of the fact that I wasn't corpsing... Well, I was corpsing for about... <laughs> Half the day, but um, um, yeah. Well, Peter used to make very when, difficult. Peter used to make Bobby and Ro and Ben laugh. So he would, when I was shooting them, he would just be doing all kinds of gestures to make them laugh. I'm doing his all flies, the time. Just <laughs> anything. This was just terribly unprofessional. Um, and uh, so that, that that was. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, um, if you're doing a kind of gig where you've already recorded the song so you know it's going to sound great, you've got an, a fantastic band playing, you've lit, paid, t you've given, you've rented a crowd to scream for you. Um, you know, that feels great to be kind of, you know, prancing about on a stage, you know, <laughs> pretending, you know, to be... To I be think Ben loved rock the rock and roll stuff. So that was really, yeah. really fun as well because I was proud of what we'd done music-wise and, and this was our kind of moment to enjoy that. Um, but I also loved all the scenes in the... Uh, we haven't mentioned one sort of important reference for the film, which was the film with Nail and I. Mm -hmm. the, the relationship between... With Nail and Paul McGann in that film um, very much kind of influenced, you know, the relationship between myself and Robert's character in that sort of one very long-suffering poor victim and one egomaniac, <laughs> ambitious freak. And, um, <laughs> and, and we shot the scenes in the warehouse, the ones with Pete Postlethwaite and with Gloria and, and just the two of us really, just wearing six cardigans and smoking cigarettes and eating cold baked beans and shuffling around. And, <laughs> and I really enjoyed that week because it felt like we were in with Nell and I, uh, it, it sort of, <laughs> you know, funny version of it. And it was, uh, yeah, so that, uh, yeah. Does that answer your question? Sort of. <laughs> I think it does, and more than. Uh, yes? Um, I just wanted to ask you, as an actor, did you have uh, sleepless nights thinking, oh, I don't know how to do this bit of my character, talking about inner life? Not talking about? Inner life of your character. Did you have sleepless nights? I'd say this is the character that I've worried least about the nights before. I mean, <laughs> you know, when I was doing Nani and Dorian Gray and, and you know, you, you're working with these on precious author's material, Oscar Wilde, Noel Coward, you know, I've worked on Alan Bennett, C.S. Lewis, all these, these and, and you worry about how people are going to perceive it and if it's going to be how they hoped it might be. And so, you know, I, I, I panicked. I thought people were going to hate this or whatever. Uh, with this, I didn't care. Um, and I thought, I'm just going to be as ridiculous as I can and be kind of brave with my acting choices and, and, and just kind of go for it. And Nick very much helped me and encouraged me, sometimes physically, with that. And um, and 
<laughs> and uh, so well, I think it's so, great so, to yeah. watch Ben play comedy, don't you? I mean, it's just yeah, they haven't seen it, <laughs> but it's just—it's like a revelation, and it's, he's brilliant at it. And to play both, have the emotional depth to play the emotion, and play the comedy is great, you know. And I think it's—it's it's a real revelation to people to see him I've do that. I've seen the film um, uh, twice now, and, and the first time I saw it, I kind of giggled most of the way through and saw that. And the second time I saw it, I kind of. Because it's very hard, isn't that? Because you have to let. Once you finish film, you have to let go and, and literally give the the storytelling is on Nick's shoulders, really, because yeah. the you know the editing and the way you put it, the way you tell the story. An actor's job is to do a series of moments and make them as funny as possible, emotional as possible. It's very hard when you're filming out of sequence over weeks and weeks to do the whole journey, and you really have to have a lot of faith and trust sure. um, that a director and an editor and and all the people involved in a post production, uh, in the post production, um, uh, have that storytelling ability, really. And um, and luckily, in this case, they, they did. But um, um, I've forgotten what I'm saying. <laughs> what am I talking that you about? relaxed, basically, in the character. That you relax. You didn't work. Yeah, so you can night. just focus yeah. on those little um, on those you little moments of comedy and whatever. But the second time I saw the film, I really got the. The, the sort of more slightly more empathetic emotional journey, you know, gets a little bit tense to about three quarters of the way through, and um, and I got more involved in that the, the second time I saw it. So so it's I think it's kind of um, you can appreciate different things about the film, you know. Um, yeah. So go and see it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Must it's legally obliged. Yeah. Um, can I just say there's more time for one last question? So hands up in the air. There's lady here, right <coughs> in front row. Brave. Last question. Make it good. Make it a good one. Hello. It's <laughs> a question to both of you, actually. Um, what was the biggest challenge as a filmmaker making it and as an actor on this? What, what was the biggest, the biggest ch challenge? challenge? Yeah. The we talked about what was fun. The biggest challenge the biggest was. Biggest challenge was. Biggest challenge making the film was to the combination of the music and the and the screenplay. That when you make, I've never done a music film before, and it's like making two films. You, you because you do all the music about six months before you start to shoot the actual movie. So you make all those decisions musically before you really have got a lot of time invested in the story. So the challenge for me was trying to make that balance work in the film and tell the story of an idiot in a more open and generous way and make that available to people. Which is what it is. It's the tale of two idiots. <laughs> it's a great tagline. I like that. Um, I think that's what we have time for. Um, the movie is out on Friday. Uh, thanks to Paramount and Apple for helping us put this on. Thanks to you guys for coming out. But thanks also to Ben Barnes and Nick Ham. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.